Psycho Steve presents. So hey guys and girls and everything in between, this is Psycho Steve and you're listening to Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow. And I am very blessed and fortunate to have Mr. Desmond Child, singer, songwriter, producer, father, husband. I just wanted to say thank you, Mr. Child, on behalf of Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow for coming on and putting up with us. So Hey, Psycho Steve. How's it going? It's, it's going great. By the way, do you prefer to be addressed as Mr. Child or her, do you, can I call you Desmond? That's okay. Okay, just a respect thing. Just how I was brought up. You, know? sir, you can just call me Sir. Okay, I will call you Sir Desmond Child. <laughs> sir Desmond, should I bow when I say that? Actually, one night, by the way. Were you really? Yeah. Where? Order of the, of the Templar um, knighthood. Um, my father was in that group and then before he passed on, he passed on his titles to me. That's awesome. So I am a sir. Right on. So I will adjust you as Sir Desmond. <laughs> Lord of what? <laughs> Lord of the heads. There you go. That's what I'm going to adjust. I'm going to call you from now on. That's really awesome. So I just wanted to say a lot of people have been waiting to hear about this interview and hear this interview because you have influenced not just myself, but so many others. And you have recorded and written with so many freaking amazing people. The first question I wanted to know is when you started writing the process, was it a poem first or did you just write it as a song? Well, my mother was a songwriter, a Cuban songwriter. Her name was Elena Casal, and she was always writing songs since I was born. And so I just play at her feet while she was composing. So I didn't know that people didn't write songs. Huh. It was just the most natural thing, and because I sensed her mood, you know, she if she was sad, she'd write a sad song. If she was happy, she'd write a happy song. So I thought that's the way that everyone expressed their emotions. So I had that advantage, and so ever since I could get up on the piano stool, I would be, you know, composing on the piano, just long kind of concertos and things like that, and then eventually my mom would have me play those for her visitors, which were usually musicians and poets and um, lots of strange people, uh, because she was a bit of a bohemian, so every weekend there'd be crazy parties till all hours and I'd just be the little kid at the top of the stairs listening to their songs and poems and um, so that's how I began and I wrote my official pop song right. I was about 14 years old and I had gone to a school with a lot of rich people on Miami Beach kind of bust myself there from Miami and um, gave a fake address and all that so I could go to that school and I was invited to a birthday party of this girl named Laura Stern and um, you know I didn't have a gift so I decided to write her a song and so it was called Birthday Blues and I sat and played for her and of course I got these kind of like you know sweet eyes and everything <laughs> looking at me and so mission accomplished and so that was my first official pop song. Awesome. Now, did you ever record it and put it on an album? No, it wasn't that good. <laughs> but it was my very 
Right on. So I've written, you know, almost 5,000 songs since then. Right, absolutely. You know, so um, a few years ago, we had our 40th high school reunion, and she was there, and I actually sang what I could remember of the song to her in front of all the high school. Wow. And so, you know, of course, she had tears in her eyes and the whole thing. But, you know, it's so, it's so amazing how music is kind of a time machine. You, you hear a song, and it takes you sometimes, the listener, back to the first time they heard it. Right. Or to the relationship that they were having at that time when they would play that song over and over again. It would be their song. And I think in general, music has a way of, of bringing us into the, this kind of world that the point of creation, you go right there to whoever created the music at, at that time. And then we bring today to it. See what I'm saying? Absolutely. Because I'm all about the nostalgia factor. I tell everybody, when I play a certain song, it makes you think, holy cow, if you were around in that era when I'm playing a certain song, people are like, holy crap. Because like, I will play a hit here and there on my show. And I know you are the, you know, the king of writing hits. Um, but, you know, I also play a deeper track from that band because of the fact is, if you're a fan of that artist, you, you'll know the music no matter what. And people are like, holy cow, I haven't heard that song in so long. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you know, that's the, that's the beauty of music. And it's, it's amazing how much music is being played and consumed on a second per second basis all over the world. Absolutely. And, and yet the creators aren't being properly paid for what they've created. And with the streaming companies kind of decimating the value of our music, um, it's been a very tough, tough thing, you know, to be a professional songwriter. The artists are doing okay because the streamers pay 16 to 1 to the record companies. Wow. Um, uh, and we're, I'm not sure the, that the artists are actually getting money the record companies are getting, but hopefully they are. And um, But we, we're a minuscule part of the creation. In the world of licensing, it's always a 50-50 split between oh, okay. the audio right. and the composition. But somehow when, when this digital thing came to be, we sort of lost ground. And so we've been fighting, you know, ever since that to recover because, you know, when I first got, you know, I live in Nashville, and when I first got here, there were 5,000 signed writers within the 440 circle. Holy cow. And today, I think last count of signed contracts with, with working writers was like 262 or something like that. That's really so sad. In 25 years, you know, sort of, that's what happened to the songwriting business because, you know, one can't put two sticks together. Hmm. And a lot of the songs that are, you know, on the radio are being written by the same, you know, very powerful group of people that, you know, are on it. They've got what it takes to make sure that their songs are up front and get cut. Right. And then what happens to everybody else? You know, having a um, an album cut like you were talking about, um, there's just no money in it. You know, the, the only thing that can possibly bring any money right now, and, and that could be drying up, is terrestrial radio and some general licensing, like if they play your song in a lobby or a restaurant or something like that. You, you know, that's what the performing rights organizations do. They collect that 
has really been my saving grace. You wow. know, that's because I've had so many songs cut that the sum total I've been able to, you know, support my family, you know, with that. Hopefully, you know, if we keep fighting and there's a, a bill going through Congress uh, supported by um, Doug Collins and, you know, he's on the Republican side and there's several um, Democrats also signed up to it. It's a bipartisan bill called the Music Modernization Act and that will help us a lot to raise our, our rates and free ourselves from legislation. Uh, you know, there are a lot of regulations. We're the most regulated, you know, product in the world. Right, absolutely. It's not to our favor. Right. Well, and you'll be happy to know, I personally, I buy CDs and everything just because I like to read the liner notes and see. No, they're purposely not, not manufacturing CDs. Right. And because they want you know, they wanted people to go to downloading. Right. Where, you know, like with Apple, you know, with iTunes, 30% would go to Apple. Wow. So that reduced, the, you know, what was left was 70%. And so our percentage of songwriters was, was reduced by 30% in royalties Damn. per play. And, but now, honestly, uh, you know, all the downloading is being phased out. Wow. You won't be able to buy music. Everything will go to streaming and subscription. Right. Where, you know, like if everybody's paying whatever it is, $10 a month to listen to as much music as they want to listen to, add it to an item for 10 bucks, that's a pretty good deal. And, you know, let's say 100 million people out of our almost 400 million people in this country are signing up to that because it's maybe part of their cable package or phone package or something like that. Right. So that's huge amount of funds available to pay us. Absolutely. You know, and yet we're just getting the last little dribble of what's left of that. So, you know, we're, we're just hoping that we get a fair shake with this Music Modernization Act and it's important that the public, you know, that our citizens, you know, care enough about music that they will be, you know, writing their congressmen and, and, and senators and say, pass the Music Modernization Act. You know, I'm, I'm very passionate about that. You know, I, I, I'm okay. You know, I made money when the, when the going was good. But, I, you know, I often do master classes. I just did one at NYU, which was my alma mater, right. at the Steinhardt School. And, um, you know, I'm looking at these faces, these beautiful young faces, and I'm, like, wondering to myself, it's like, gosh, it's going to be so hard for them. Right. You know, if things don't change. You know, they just don't even have any idea. Well, is there a website that people can go and sign? Like, I, I think that um, this bill is going to go up for passing soon. Okay. And just stay on top of it. Just, uh, you know, Google Music Modernization Act. I haven't uh, tried it myself because I'm on the board of ASCAP, so I get all the latest information from them. Okay. You know, and uh, I'll be going to Washington in, in uh, May, I think, and you know, knocking on doors and campaigning to see if we can get people behind this. Well, you got my vote, so, and I'm sure okay, a, know, okay. a ton of people you behind you. More. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I have a big mouth, like my ex-wife says, and I talk a lot, too, so I'll spread the word, so not a problem with that. Okay, so the next question is, speaking of, like, how you became successful, when you got your first hit, and you wrote your first hit, and you got your first royalty check, what did you buy? I think I bought clothes. Okay. Because I really didn't have anything to wear that looked good. It just, that was rock starish. 
Right. Uh, but I have my group, Death and Child Rouge. Right. And my first really big money making hit was I Was Made for Loving You. Right. And, uh, so I co wrote with Paul Stanley. And that was the first thing that came. And um, I've been able to really, no matter what, survive on the royalties of that one song. Wow. And so, and, you know, I went from, you know, earning nothing to getting $100,000 in a year. Oh, yeah. And so that was a kind of like saving grace. But, you know, what I did also was I helped my mother. And uh, I got her out of debt and, uh, you know, bought her a new car, bought her new clothes. Because I, I swore if I ever made it, would, would take care of her. Because she was always struggling as a songwriter. Right. And um, even though she had cuts and even had a couple of popular songs, uh, even one hit, she never saw any from it wow. because of the way the system was set up. That sucks. What song was that? And the song was called Muchisimo, and it was sung by an artist, a big crooner at the time. He was like the Sinatra of Bolero, Latin Bolero music, and his name was Roberto Ledesma. Huh. And so, um, you know, that that's what's her, you know, kind of, she'd walk into a nightclub and the band would automatically start playing that song. Kind of as a uh, way of welcoming her. So, you know, but still, you know, that's one of the reasons why I helped to found the Latin Songwriters Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, along with my co-founder, Rudy Perez. Okay. He's a, he's a very powerful uh, producer and songwriter. And um, we're in our sixth year, and our next gala is October 18th at the James L. Knight Center in Miami, Florida. Awesome. And um, we were kind of uh, modeled after the Songwriters Hall of Fame, where I was inducted in 2008, and I'm also on the board of that. So the Latin Songwriters Hall of Fame is sort of my, my committee project. Right on. So I'm the chairman of that, and uh, Rudy's the president. And um, it's, it's just like the Songwriters Hall of Fame. We have this beautiful gala, and... Um, you know, we honor careers that, you know, it needs to be a 20-year minimum of how long one has been since their first published song. And uh, then we also have honorees, and we, we feature young artists. And last year, of course, iHeart uh, jumped in, and we had an iHeart song of the year. And, of course, it was Despacito. Right. And, um, you know, so that's one of the things that, you know, made me feel really good, you know, because my mom passed away seven years ago. Sorry for your loss. And, uh, you know, she was 85, and she had a fantastic life uh, because of music, because I, I was able to provide for her from the success that I had. Right on. Have you ever recorded one of her songs? She and I co-wrote a song, but it's never been released. Uh, it's called Un Sueño Vagabundo. And um, hopefully, now I'm kind of putting together all her poems and lyrics and want to publish her book and maybe try to do a tribute album now that I'm sort of, you know, kind of more well-known to all of the Latin stars and try to do that and then put that out because all the fans of those people will go to that album and listen to it. So that's one of the things I'm trying to do. Cool. Now, I care a lot about, you know, the legacy of other Or Nero, for instance, is, you know, a cause of mine. And so I just did uh, three nights at the Feinstein's 54 Below in New York City. And I opened the show with a song by Laura Nero. Then we did a Desert Solid Rouge uh, segment where we sang 
question about your mom being a musician and she's one of your biggest influences I'm assuming. because I am Psycho Steve, and I'm a bit of a car enthusiast. What kind of car do you drive? Um, I have three cars. Okay. I have my, my floppy car. Which is what? A Jeep. Uh, a Willys Jeep. Awesome. What year is that? Um, just like, maybe like four years old. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like one of the ones from like World War II. Or no, something. I had one like that, but you know. Yeah. I, I was scared to drive it, which I kids in it especially, so... It was like 1949, the Willys, you know, like one of those post-war things. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I had to give it up. Gotcha. Um, it was too scary. Right on. And then um, I also have a Challenger. Cool. Black kind of muscle car. Does it have the Hemi in it? The 6.2 liter V8? Yeah. Awesome. And it's fun. Right. And I'll probably have to give it up to my kids because they're getting ready to drive. Um, in the next few months. Wow. And then I have a uh, Bentley R9T. Very nice. I have a good story about that. <laughs> I was hanging out riding with Paul Stanley. This was in 2005. Right. And he said, hey, let's take a break. I want you to come down and see this car I'm thinking about buying. And so, you know, he has this like very beautiful Mercedes all souped up. And I said, well, why do you want to switch it for this car? Yeah, you know. Tired of this one. I want you to see this cool Bentley. I, I, I like. So we went to see this beautiful black RNC Bentley. It's kind of like sporty a little bit. Right. And the, the dashboard looks like it's on a boat from the you know 1940s or something. Awesome. Walnut and everything. It was so when the, the, the seats had these crisscrosses. And you know, I looked at that. It was like, wow, that's amazing. And so by the end of our visit, I had bought it. <laughs> and Paul just kept his car. Right on. <laughs> so he got the thrill of buying the car, but with my money. Oh, right on, of course. <laughs> you know, he could live vicariously through you. Yeah, because he's notoriously good with money. <laughs> and so he, he said, oh, well, that was cool buying that car. And then, you know, I'm the one who drove off with it. Nice. Cool. Hope you got a good deal on it. It's, um, my kids were always uh, making fun of me and kind of scolding me even when they were little. They said, we looked up your car and it's the biggest gas guzzler in the world. It's like two miles per gallon. And I said, okay, right. But it only, it still to this day only has like 20,000 miles on it. Wow. Now it's been like, you know, 12 years owning it or something. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so how much gas did I guzzle? Exactly. <laughs> but I have to say, you know, talking about my mom, when we were living in L.A., uh, I used to take my kids to the Beverly Hills Hotel for, for breakfast on Sundays. We'd go 
down to this, you know, kind of like breakfast kind of um, bar, you know, kind of thing downstairs. And um, I, you know, I, you know, no, I think that day we went to the polo lounge. And you know, did you ever see a movie called Moonlight? Yeah. You know those projects? Yes. That's where I grew up. Oh wow. In Miami. Oh cool. Project. My grandmother lives in Aventura. Right. So, so that's like kind of very key. Yeah. Area. But we lived in the ghetto. Okay. And uh, we lived in a government house. And it's the same one that was in that movie, like when they did the interior shots, that was exactly our apartment. Exactly. Wow. So it kind of brought back a lot of memories. And out front, my mom would have her broken down car, you know, that was, you know, she couldn't even drive because she didn't have enough gas to get anywhere. Hmm. You know, so she'd walk blocks to go get, you know, sometimes in the rain to get to a bus, change three times to get to her job, her day job, and, you know, and so I remember driving up to that Beverly Hills Hotel and my Arnashi with my mom and my kids, and, you know, they'd open the door and the kids would run up the the red carpet and you know my, my mom was you know in that car and she looked around and she said is this your car and I said yes and she says this is very nice and I thought to myself in that moment wow it's been a long road to get to that car to the Beverly Hills Hotel from those projects it gave me like an amazing feeling of accomplishment so what kind of car did you buy her because she said you'd buy her a car well, you know, she had multiple cars, and she would always just loan, loan them to her crazy sister, who would, you know, get into crashes, and so, stop <laughs> buying the cars, <laughs> so, anywhere she wanted to go, we'd have somebody drive her. Right on. <laughs> okay, cool. So, you mentioned your family, I know you're happily married, and you have two beautiful children. On your downtime, what do you guys like to do? Well, we travel a lot. Okay. We love to go to Greece. In the summertime, we've gone every year for 10 years to this one little island. We're not going to say what it is because we don't want to get it spoiled. Right. But it's kind of very mama mia. And um, we, the kids are, you know, just running around like crazy with other kids from all over the world. Sometimes they don't even speak the same language. And yet they get along and they're playing. Soccer's always at 7 o'clock at night. And then everybody kind of runs in around nine for dinner and then we're sitting there till midnight and then the kids are kind of jumping up and running, playing hide and seek and you see like 20 boys running in a bag and then a few seconds later you see 20 girls running after them like there's a beetle <laughs> and they're playing like hide and seek and they, they're so innocent there, you know, there's just no cars, you know, they kind of let go of their video games, they play real chess on, on the board, boards and sometimes they have teams. So, you know, that's like a very wonderful place uh, that we go to. And, um, you know, that's what we like to do. We, we travel. Awesome. All right. So now you've written with all different genres of music. Are you actually like friends with any of these guys or girls? Like you, like they call you and say, hey, you know, hey, sir, Desmond, you free for lunch? I'm going to be over here. You'd like to join me? Well, you know, I, I think very close with Jabba Jovi. He's the godfather of our sons, and he's a very attentive godfather. And we're going to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Awesome. Um, to, you know, cheer him on as he gets inducted with, with his band Bon Jovi. And um, we're really looking forward to that. And yeah, we get together. We, you know, we have a song that we wrote together called uh, You Want to Make a Memory. 
and there's uh, a line in the song, sipping wine, wasting time or something, yeah. trying, to, trying to solve life's mysteries. That's kind of pretty much sums it up. Like, we, you know, several times a year we'll get together and we'll kind of talk about everything and, uh, you know, a lot about politics. And uh, it's fun to have, a, you know, a good friend like that, you know, that I can always count on. And, of course, I'm close with Paul Stanley, who really, you know, I, he's, he's the reason I, I even have a career, because he's the one that uh, gave John my phone number when uh, Kiss was touring in Europe and Bon Jovi was their opening act. Right. This is back in Jesus. 86, 84? Oh, it was like 83. Right. Or something like that. And so then um, when John got back to the United States, he gave me a call and I went and wrote with him and Richie Sabora in this little, yeah, it was Richie's parents' house where Richie still lived on the edge of a marsh, you know, this, you know, kind of gray, long marsh, and at the end of it, like, just like it was Emerald City, there's an oil refinery. Must have been, like, the most toxic place on Earth. And, um, oh, so you're explaining about New Jersey. Yeah, New Jersey yeah. <laughs> of course. And, um, you know, but this was a kind of very forbidding kind of neighborhood, and um, that's where we wrote, like, our first song, You Give Love a Bad Day. Right. Yeah, that's my, my oldest son's favorite song. When I told him that I was interviewing you, so I'm a proud dad of two as well. And he's just like, really? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, tell him he's awesome. I'm like, I'll be sure to let him know, Jack. Thank you. So my oldest son gives you the horns up and thumbs up for writing that song because every time he gets in my car, he grabs my phone, puts on, and he's like, I need to hear that song. And he's, I'm like, you don't listen to this music in the car with your mom? And he's like, no, mom doesn't listen to good music. He listens to good music. I'm like, okay, I'll take that. You know, point for dad. So, all right. So, all right. Speaking of music again, uh, in your car, what's in your CD player? Um, well, I just, when I'm in the car, I just listen to the hits. Oh, okay. You know, whatever is going on. You know, I just, I mean, I think this is a very exciting time in music. Right. Because, I mean... The technologically, the sounds that people can get right. that just jump out the speakers is really, you know, impressive. You know, and I think that some people are making great music, and so I, I enjoy listening to it. Awesome. So um, I enjoy listening to all kinds of music. You know, I've been working on a Broadway show right. uh, for a long time called Cuba Libre, and you know, there's a chance we could get out to Broadway in 2019. Awesome. Uh, if all the pieces come together. And um, also, I've been, you know, working on an animated motion picture, um, you know, where I'm, you know, creating all the music for. And also, I'm executive producing a television show, a series, a short series, 10, ten episodes, um, about um, the Blue Pearlman and the $500 million Ponzi scheme that bankrolled the, you know, the whole O-Town explosion of boy bands. Right, and sync and yeah. Backstreet Boys. So it's a very, you know, kind of suspenseful, you know, um, series. And so, I've, you know, I've been expanding, you know, to theater, uh, you know, television and, uh, and film. So it's fun because, you know, now when I walk in a room, people really respect me and because of everything that I've created. Right. And so, you know, it wasn't like that, you know, 20 years ago when I first, you know, hit L.A. and started, you know, trying to push, or, you know, 
different kinds of shows, you know. You know, and at that time I was working a lot with American Idol and I thought to myself, well, if there's one, there could be another one. And I just pounded the pavement with different shows, you know, Take to the Curb, um, Star Maker, Hit Maker, the next big thing, you know, I had like, it was all, you know, kind of like what The Voice did. Right. And everyone would just say, oh, you know, uh, television doesn't need another music show. There already is American Idol. It's like, compete with it. And uh, no one would listen to me. And then sure enough, some other very smart people created, you know, The Voice. Right. And look how successful it is. And so it just goes to show you, you know, that, um, you know, if you have a dream, you should never give up on it because it doesn't, dreams are free. True story. So why not, why not keep them going? Absolutely. Sounds like a next song you're going to write called Dreams Are Free. I can see it. Yeah, so why, why, why give up on them? True. Okay. Uh, has there been a time in your career when you stepped back and said, holy shit, this is awesome? And, or have you ever been like very overwhelmed and you had to take a break? No, I, I, I just never look back. I always look forward. Well. And, you know, sometimes... Um, you know, like uh, I've gone to events where they've given me awards and there'll be like a video presentation mm-hmm. of like one hit after the other after the other. I go, that's, that's amazing. You know, who, who has done that? You know, not that many people, you know, have had that kind of success over really five decades and, are, and I'm still working. I mean, had a hit a couple of years ago with Zed, yeah. Beautiful Now. And before that, I had a big hit with Katy Perry called Waking Up in Vegas. So, you know, I've had a number one song in five decades. Wow. You know, so... So you started when you were like three. All I need to do is get to 2020. If I could have a hit, then a number one hit. You know, I'm saying number one hit in five decades. If I could have a number one hit, then it'll be six decades. That's... that's So it's okay if nothing happens until 2020. Okay. Well, I I know it's not going to happen, but as far as it's going to happen sooner than that, but... Also, but you know, it's like, I I get, I try to get in on everything that I can, and you can't be everywhere and all things to all people at all times. Right. And you know, there's no reason why I shouldn't have been writing with Adele. You know, I'm perfect for her. Right. You know, and I just didn't try hard enough to get in. My, you know, my colleague got in, you know, Rick Knowles. Uh, Diane Warren yeah. wrote with Adele and I at that moment didn't have a publisher or any you know or management at that time I'm, I'm back with my original managers uh, now but in that period of time I didn't have anyone to push me in so you know there are a lot of amazing artists that I would like to have co-written with I mean I would have loved working with George Michael wow me um, too I sing one of his songs in my show Fast Love but you know slow version Awesome. Well, fast love, and that one's like the best song I do better than my own music. Right. So, um, you know, that one goes over great. Huh. So I'm going to continue, you know, trying to keep performing. Awesome. Because, um, you know, I think it's important that if you're a teacher, that you get in the ring too. And, Absolutely. And not lose touch with what it takes to, to get out there and sing. And that only sharpens my songwriting skills and my empathy for the people that I'm working with. Gotcha. So speaking of songwriting, does the artist approach you or does the label or do you approach them? You know, I, I, there's been a lot of uh, different 
different ways. And sometimes it's, you know, through management, they say, oh, look, I had lunch with this A&R guy. He has this act. And, um, you know, maybe you should try writing with them. And that a lot of things have come of that. And, you know, like Katie Perry or Jonas uh, or, you know, lots of different acts. Hands. And sometimes, you know, it's I'm co-writing with, you know, Paul Stanley or John Bajovi, you know, my, you know, trying to do friends. And I think they come back just simply out of, uh, you know, because I always do deliver. Right. And, and they like what I bring to the table. You know, they may be co-writing with a lot of other people, but my songs tend to, you know, get picked and stay on the record. Awesome. All right. Have, do you have a favorite song that you wrote? Well, I think the one that has really stood the test of time, um, of course, is Living on a Prayer. Gotcha. That I co-wrote with Sean Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora. Right. And, um, you know, I think one of my favorite, favorite personal songs is a song called Weird that I wrote with Hanson. Awesome. I know the song. My cousin's a huge Hanson fan. And I, I think it means a lot to me because, you know, I grew up uh, feeling weird because I grew up being gay. I grew, I grew up, you know, being a Latino. I grew up being extremely poor. So I had three things that kind of made me an outcast. And, um, you know, when I wrote that song with, with Hanson, I was thinking about that relationship my whole life. And, you know, even these, you know, perfect, you know, you know, white boys with, with blonde hair, right. you know, singing the song about being weird. And they were like the complete opposite of weird. Right. They, were, they were like the most perfect children. Um, but um, I think the irony of that kind of was like, you know, the, the soulful way that Taylor sang it kind of t- was very touching. So I, I always perform that song because it means a lot to me. Awesome. So has there been an art, your like favorite artist that you want to work with that you haven't yet? Well, I would, you know, one of the artists that I, I just absolutely adore and is and probably is untouchable is Sade. I mean, I just love her music. And I listen to her music all the time. You know, it never grows old. It's timeless. And, um, you know, I would love to work with Adele because I feel like, you know, what she, how she sings, how passionate. If she sings that, you know, I, I feel like I could, I could contribute, and, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. She's, and she sings so, both of them, flawless. Yeah. I've watched, like, YouTube videos and just sat there and they just, you know, plug in a mic and then just sing and just make it, you know, like breathing so easy yeah. for them. And, uh, you know, I also, you know, really admire people like Madonna. I never got a chance to co-write with her because she basically would never need me. She worked with, you know, arrangers and programmers and she's a top writer. She, she writes all the lyrics and the melodies, so she would never need me, but I, I would love to work with her. And, um, you know, I think it would be fun to get to know her. Cool. Um, you know, it's like um, there's a there's a lot of things that I I'd love to do. Okay. You know, and and working in different genres, like I've been working with urban songwriters and combining you know urban you know style with endemic choruses and stuff. So I've been doing that, and uh, you know it, the the beauty is that you know music and styles come, sometimes come in cycles, and then when it comes back around, it always is you know, kind of like a progression and, and it's more than one could have ever thought of. Like, I love Panic at the Disco. Yeah. Love Fall Out Boy. Cool. You know, I love, you know, Imagine Dragons, some of the songs that they do, like, you know, Radioactive, I just can't get over that song, it's a masterpiece. 
and I, I just like, uh, you know, I have interest in all things. And I think that, you know, one of the bad things that happened when music started becoming very genre-centric um, is that people just would listen to one kind of music. When I was growing up, there were only two radio stations in Miami, and uh, one was, you know, they both were playing everything. They'd go from the Beatles to Aretha Franklin, uh, to Dionne Warwick, to, you know, Leslie Gore, to, you know, the Monkees. I mean, they just played everything. So you were educated in all styles. Awesome. And then later on, when radio began to kind of figure out what their markets were and, and all that, they'd only, you know, FM, they'd only the rock station, the jazz station, this and that. And so that's the birth of things like, you know, serious and all that. They just target one kind of music. Right. And I think that actually shuts people down, you know, uh, from exposing themselves to, to appreciate every kind of music. Absolutely. Even though my favorite genre of music is predominantly like rock and metal and everything, I do have, you know, in my collection, I love like Toto and Lionel Richie and your music and, you know, on this hard rock exterior, there's a schmaltzy soft side that, you know, my girlfriend and my kids pick on me about. And they're like, really? Your nickname is Psycho Steve and you're listening to Lionel Richie? I'm like, um, yeah. So, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, to get my groove on with my chick, you know? You know, I, I um, was part of a Kimo's radio uh, contest. Like, it was a rock music contest right. that was being uh, sponsored by Big Machine, uh, Scott Borchetta, and, and John Barbados. Right. Because they were working together on Barbados Records. Right. And the winner of the contest won uh, a record deal. And this happened at the Viper Room a couple months ago. Awesome. And I had such a good time. It was one band after the other. They were actually all like spectacular. And um, one that really caught my ear or whatever is a band from Philly called Another Day Dons. And they are really like, you know, heavy metal. Okay. Love it. And, the, and the bass, they're all very young. The bass player is, is a woman and she's 20 years old. And, the drummer's 28 years old, and, and the lead singer's 22, and I think the guitar player's around that age, and uh, I'm going to be working with them. They weren't the winners. The, the winner was Ivory Black, and, you know, Ivory didn't have um, deep enough funds to be able to bring the entire band, so, so uh, Ivory was going to, like, just play loops and things and play one and none of none of that stuff worked. Huh. And so I just grabbed an acoustic guitar and just sang and took it just on acoustic guitar. Took the rock band contest. If you look up the artist, very unusual, you know, kind of gender neutral artist that um, it was I mean, very gorgeous, very thin and tall and you know, like and just sang this soulful stuff that just ripped your heart out. And it was like, we looked at each other and said, oh, it's gotta be ivory. But no matter what, I'm, I'm gonna be working with another day dance. It just, I love the tight band, you know, and the singer just like, he like sings so hard on his chords. You know, it's, it's amazing. Awesome. So, so that's like the polar opposite of, you know, some of the pop music I've been doing. It's like, I like to, to stay working with young people 
and I love rock, and I'm never going to give up on it. Awesome. All right. Is there a song that you wrote that you're sick of hearing? Like, if you heard it on the radio, you'd, like, roll your eyes and say, okay, I have to change this? Not really, no. Okay. I, I, I think, you know, I'm pretty proud of everything I've done, and, and it's interesting to hear a song again, and it kind of takes you back in time. Like I said, songs are time machines, and it, it gets you to relive the point of creation. And that's a, a very beautiful thing, even for the, for the person that wrote it, and time travel back to that moment and, and the listeners do as well and it's not that it's time traveling back in time in a way it's because in a way it can be that but it's like puts you in that timeless space of creation right where there is no yesterday or you know tomorrow or all that and you you get this feeling and it makes you feel alive and it, and it gives you like emotion and inspiration and energy and that's why we can't live without music true okay for up and coming songwriters or producers any advice well I just gave a um, master class at NYU right and that question was posed to me and what I always say is be as self-sufficient as possible because I'm like the least self-sufficient actually I mean I, don't, I play keyboards in spite of everything and all the rock music I've helped to make. I don't play guitar. My mother played guitar. Huh. I could never get my mind around it. And, um, you know, so be as self-sufficient as possible. Learn, you know, engineering, learn programming, learn logic and Pro Tools and every other kind of thing there is. Learn that stuff inside out and learn, read a lot and learn about poetry and lyrics, study the lyrics of Dylan and Joni Mitchell and, you know, Laura Nero, listen to their music and, you know, everyone else, like really study lyrics right. because a song is really built on the concept of the song, the title, okay. what it's about, then the music is the scoring, you know, that goes to the script. Um, so, you know, that's like a really important thing. Be able to sing, even if you don't think you can sing. Learn how to sing so that you can put a demo together. And with, you know, with attitude and this and that, you can make it sound good. You know, at least be able to communicate the song. Be very uh, meticulous about archiving um, your progress. Um, you know, make sure that all of your lyrics are typed, number each line so that when you're doing comping, it's easier to just go to line 28 and punch in the last word of line 28, rather than be poking around saying, well, it's that third chorus of the this and that. And then make sure you always put the copyright mark after the lyrics. Copyright 2018. And then your name or the name of your publisher's company. You know, I, I'm one of the board members of ASCAP. I love ASCAP. You know, I think ASCAP is fantastic. You know, but there's BMI and CSAC and GMR. Those are other performing rights organizations. Check them all out and see where you feel the most at home. Become a part of it. Go to their events. It's always better if you live in a music town. You know, Nashville is incredible for music. LA, New York, Austin, you know, Seattle, Miami, Atlanta for urban music. You live in, in a town that has the most amount of people that do the music that you want to do. Right. You get to know everybody. Be nice to everybody. Do favors for everybody. Show up to their showcases so that when you have yours, they'll show up at yours. And, 
it's a lifelong commitment, but it's so rewarding. And um, so my advice is be as self-sufficient as possible. Learn how to collaborate, but don't let your creative process stop because you can't find a programmer. You know, don't let your creative process stop because you can't, you know, sing or anything like that. Just dive into it and be the best you can be at everything. Awesome. That's very profound. And last but not least, this is the last question, and we'll wrap it up. What's next for Sir Desmond Child, Lord of the Hits? On April 23rd in Los Angeles at the ASCAP Pop Awards, I'm going to be honored with the Founders Award, which is the highest honor of ASCAP. And they're also acknowledging my 40 years at ASCAP. Wow. So, um... I'm very excited about that, and uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be, you know, some fantastic uh, colleague of mine that's going to present, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful event. And uh, then the ASCAP Expo is, um, I think, that like May seventh, around then, and uh, that's an amazing thing to be a part of. Uh, it's open to the public. You know, sign up for you know people come from all over the world, from from China to Sweden, Finland, you know, Germany, Hungary. They all come from all over the world. They all meet and gather several thousand music aficionados. There's a lot of uh, networking that happens. You know, I, I remember once being chased around by this kind of heavy set girl with her demo, you know. Right. And I kind of like blew, blew her off, you know, because she was bugging me. Ah, guess what? I was making trainer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How dumb was I? <laughs> you know? So a lot of people are, I mean, Adam Anders, I was a Swedish producer that did all the music for Glee. Right. I remember being at an airport and saying, hey, you know, I heard your panel. I wanted to thank you so much because the things that you talked about uh, really helped me. And I said, really, what are you doing? He says, well, I uh, produce all the music for Glee. It's like, Oh my God, that's fantastic. And he's gone on to do great things. And um, so many people go on to, to do great things coming out of the ASCAP Expo. That's awesome. I really recommend it. Okay. So do you want to plug anything? Well, I'd like to um, remind people that the Latin Songwriters Hall of Fame, um, sixth annual uh, inaugural gala, is going to be October 18th at the James L. Knight Center and you know that is a fantastic event and there are a lot of you know um, general admission tickets very reasonable there's you know we have 3,000 seats that's themselves you know at the front tables are usually industry you know it's like a dinner thing right. but there's a audience behind and it's going to be one giant star after another um, so I, I I really recommend that okay. and um you know, I, I think um, the main thing is that if you love music, you know, to just never give up on it and just hear new music to be inspired by because that is where the future is. Awesome. And as far as in contacting you or saying hi, besides on Facebook? Uh, you know what my favorite thing is? Is Instagram. Okay. So I'm on that day, like, all day long. Okay. So, Desmond.child. Uh, okay. I, so I'm on, actually, Facebook and Twitter, but, yeah. you know, that I'm on that Instagram like crazy. All right, cool. So, follow me. 
Absolutely. So just want to say thank you. I sincerely and I really appreciate it. Thank you. So are you, sir. All right, man. Thank you. Psycho Steve presents. Psycho Steve on Heritage on Tomorrow every Wednesday on iTunes and SoundCloud. The interview sessions are also on YouTube. Get your merch at Zazzle.com backslash Psycho Steve presents Heritage on Tomorrow. Follow Psycho Steve on all social media platforms. Facebook at Psycho Steve Rocks. Instagram at the underscore real underscore psycho underscore Steve. Twitter at Real Psycho Steve for requests or dedications or if you're in a band and want us to play your music or be interviewed or for advertising inquiries email us at psycho steve presents at gmail.com psycho steve presents hair today gone tomorrow is brought to you by pearlswag enterprises llc please join psycho steve every wednesday and friday here on